Well, good day, Fellowship family. It's great to have you here as we worship Jesus together. And uh, before I get going in my message, I want to just give you a quick little family update of a change that we're doing on Saturday evening. You may not realize this because you're the 11 o'clock Sunday service, but we actually have two other services on Saturday evening. They're the same exact thing, uh, with service with the same exact ministries to children in our nursery. Everything's the same, but we just hold it on Saturday evening. And one of the key values that we try to do is to have services where it's most likely for young families to attend. Our average age here at Fellowship is 28 years old. And so... We have a lot of children, and so we want to have services in which it's most likely for uh, young families to come to. And so here's what we've done. We've just changed the Saturday evening services, uh, not the Sunday, so you can still come at 11 or 9.15 that we have. But starting Easter, which is just in a few weeks, we're going to be having uh, Saturday evening services at 4.15 and 6 p.m., those are hour-long services. So 4.15 will be done at 5.15, and the 6 o'clock will be done at 7. It just helps families in this, and we always want to be open for uh, young families as we have uh, services available for them. So if you have something planned on a Sunday, you could even come to one of these Saturday evening services. And I hope you'll uh, in- enjoy them with us. Now, if you disagree with this and you don't like it, just talk to J.D. Holt. He'll take all your complaints. Okay, we're continuing on our series called Way of Life, and it's on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, as, as we look at this, we're going to be coming across a statement by Jesus that is probably, in this day and age, the most quoted phrase of his ministry. But uh, it, it's just like when I was in seminary, I was graduating from seminary, and a guy I really looked up to, his name was Chuck Swindoll. He came and spoke to all of our graduates, and he's an author, and he's a pastor, and I just loved uh, listening to him. But he came and encouraged our, our graduates, and he said, graduates, people will quote you, and they will misquote you, depending on how they view you and the God's word. And I realized that. He said, so speak clearly and repeat yourself so that there's no mistaking what you're saying. And uh, in this message of Jesus, Jesus has been quoted and misquoted based on how people want to live. And uh, I, so we aren't just going to read the phrase and let it stand alone. We want to give the whole counsel of God here. We want to preach what he, what he preached on this Sermon on the Mount. So take a look at it with me. It's in Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, we have them in the back there. You can go to one of those tables there and just pick up one. If you don't have a Bible at home, take this. This is our gift to you. But if you do have a Bible at home, just leave it there on the way out so we can give it to someone else. Matthew 7, beginning with verse 1. Jesus says, familiar with this term? Judge not, that you be not judged. You heard that? Let's keep reading. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? And how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take out the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy, 
And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Kind of an interesting ending to a very common phrase that's quoted, isn't it? What did Jesus mean? Well, I think it's fair, as we have been listening to Jesus now for our 11 weeks on the Sermon on the Mount, we have slowed down so that we could really get the the whole picture of what Jesus is saying to us. And up to this point, he's not called us to say, nah, just believe whatever you want to believe. Whatever sounds good, whatever, uh, you know, fancies you, you can believe that as truth. He's called us to be discerning. He's called us to have truth in our lives and to not compromise that truth, right? Uh, he's, he's not called us, uh, to, uh, just, just leave discernment at the door when we open up the scriptures. We're called to do that and to take the time to be discerning in life. But what he is calling out is a critical condemning spirit. It's a spirit that judges other people from a position that's higher than them. It's the putting down of other people. Have you ever been judged? I've been judged. Come on, we live in Topeka. The rest of the world judges us, right? Yeah, I mean, it's easy to, to be in a place where people have judged for a long time. And it needs to change, right? It really needs to change. What Jesus is, is calling us to is to stop being critical of others when our own lives are lacking. And he really shows us what this next waypoint is going to be on this way of life. And he shows us that our view of God really will determine what we see in others. We can kind of look at it as, uh, I don't like that person, I don't like that person, I'll just want to stay with that person, I don't want to stay with that person. But Jesus says, no, really what it comes down to is how do you view your relationship with your heavenly father? Because that view... That view of God is the most important and influential view of your life. Your view of God determines what you see in others. And Jesus is going to call us away from that critical, condemning attitude and into a humble and loving posture with people. Here's what I found about a critical, condemning spirit. Uh, it, it most likely is caught or taught unintentionally. Here's what I mean by it. You don't wake up and go, man, I cannot wait to be critical today. I can't wait to just condemn everyone around me. But we usually get to the end of the day and go, boy, I was really negative there. When they announced that change, I was so negative on that. I thought the worst and I wanted the worst for that. Why did that happen? And it's kind of like a walk in a field. And when I was younger, I would go, my dad had a farm an hour north of where we lived in Wisconsin. And I'd go out on a walk in a field. And halfway through the field, I would look on me and there would be these things, burrs. They'd be burrs all over me and go, what in the world? And then I'd check my socks at night and go, what in the world? And you couldn't just shake them off. You had to pick them off, right? A critical condemning spirit is the same way. You don't go walking through the field saying, oh, birds, birds love me, you know, but you get there and you realize, how did I get these things? But getting away from it and stepping away from a critical condemning spirit, that has to be very intentional. You have to pick it off your life. Jesus is going to call us to a different way. Why does he call us away? Well, he reveals, and what, what he just said, he, he, he reveals, number one, he calls us away because when we're critical and when we're condemning, it blinds us to our God. 
It blinds us to who he is. Look what it says here. It says, for the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Think about this. Think about this. Who's the judge? Are you the judge? Am I the judge? Did God put me as a judge over you? No, he hasn't. He's put me as pastor. And I'm to do that humbly and as a servant. I am not a judge. I don't declare people in or out. I don't declare people righteous or unrighteous. That's not my role. And yet the religious leaders of Jesus' day were doing that. They were calling people in. You're calling people out. Unless we think it was just back then, we still do that when I make judgments about other people I see. Here it is. God is the judge, right? And as long as I have a spirit that where I'm self-righteous, where I realize I'm better than you, that God deserves me, or at least that God will save me because my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, look out. I'll be blinded to his character. I'll be blinded to the fact that God is just. And what justice is, and I love in the American justice system, you have a picture of a woman who's blindfolded with a, with a scale, with a balance there. Justice is no discerner of backgrounds or income or privilege. Justice is blind and it weighs truth or error. God has eyes that see everything. He's the judge and he's not stepped away from his throne. He's not stepped off the bench. So don't try to sit in his seat. Because it'll blind you to who he is. He's our judge. Secondly, it blinds us to our own realities. Have you ever realized that a person who is so critical and so condemning actually struggles with issues themselves? Look at how Jesus quoted it. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye and you don't notice the the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take this speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? And and Jesus is really, he knows what we feel about our eyes, right? Right? Don't mess with my eyes, right? Don't. You can scratch my back, but don't point or, you know, push your finger into my eye. I don't want you doing that. Why? Because it's so personal, so intimate. It affects everything I see. So don't mess with that. And Jesus is saying, you're looking at a speck when you got a you got a log. And I know he was talking in hyperbole here. So, so it, it, but it, it blinds us to ourselves. When we're critical of other people, when we call out issues in other people and don't deal with our own issues, it's usually because we're trying to preserve something about ourselves. I found this being in the church for a long time. I've seen people who have been so critical and so negative in other people's lives, yet they get caught for a major inconsistency and their whole world crashes. There's something about us that wants to put the spotlight of God's righteousness and God's justice away from us and call it out in others. Why do we find so much joy in that? Do you realize that judgment is one of the key practices we use to be, to, to form community? We call people in or out, with or against us all the time. It started back in kindergarten, right? I don't want to be with that person. And it moves to, 
I don't want to be with the far left. I don't want to be with the far right. I don't want to be anywhere in between. We, we choose that. Who's in, who's out. And it doesn't stay in childhood. It moves right through adulthood. And in every organization I'm in, we've gotten really good at judging. We've gotten really good of being a snob or a snob of snobs. We do that. There's no hiding And the light of God's word kind of puts it in focus here. We're blind to ourselves when we point our finger at others. So it blinds us to who God is. It blinds us to who our own realities. And then it blinds us to others' dignity. Because here's here's the deal. Everyone matters. Everyone matters. Even those who don't believe. Everyone matters to God. When Jesus came to this world, he came to save sinners. We're sinners. This world is all sinners. All, none who are righteous. No, not one. Yet God sent his son because he loved this world. It blinds us to others' dignity. Jesus would say this, first take out the log on your own eye, and then you'll clearly see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In other words, once you see God, once you see yourself for who you are, then you can come alongside and on the same level, not on a kind of like a step up superior level where you put other, other people down, but you, you love people, you accept people, and then you speak the truth into people. Folks, our world needs this. Our city needs this. Our lives need need to see God for who he is, to see ourselves for who we really are, and to treat others with dignity. You see, everyone was created in the image of God. Everyone has worth, significance, and value. And the church has been famous for calling people in or out, worth it or not worth it, like us or not like us. And that will limit the love of God and the gospel and the truth of God going out from us into other people. And so we've got to be people who are willing to walk away from judging others. Now, here's the reality. We walk away from others, frankly, because we fall short with God. We fall short even of our own uh, standards and definitely of others' expectations. Let's talk about those real quick. I fall short of God's requirement. Here's God's requirement. Joe? Be perfect. Okay, God, I was doing just fine when I could compare my life with other people because then I can choose the topics and I can go, okay, time in the word. I'm a pastor, man. God is really impressed with how much time I study to preach each weekend. So people who spend time, there I am. There you are, okay? And I'm doing fine. Joe, be perfect. Okay, God, this week, not a perfect week, but my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. Not so bad. Joe, be perfect. Church, be perfect. World, be perfect. You see, then it comes down and we're all laid low, right? The the eyes of the Lord know everything. He sees everything about us. But he chooses to love us anyway. Secondly, my own standards. How many of us had a New Year's resolution this year? And it's March. How many have kept your New Year's resolution, right? 
right? Very few of us. Very, and those of us who did it go, hmm, I'm not doing so bad. You know, we fall right in to judge others, right? So we're messed up people. We are. But, but the reality is we fall short of our own standards. How many disappointments have you, how many failures have you had over your life? How many times did you set a goal you didn't measure up? And shame and guilt is dominating your life. We all fall short of that. And then even others' expectations. Like marriage. <laughs> That's a great experiment in missing someone else's expectations, right? Our first year of marriage, classic. I had this high view that everything was going to be perfect. I would come home. She'd go, yes, I'm so glad you are home. And, you, and we would do all that. But, but that first year of marriage was like, whoa, wait a minute. I didn't see this side of you when we were dating. Can we go back, you know? And I had to realize she was saying the same thing about me. So we fall short of our expectations. Folks, there's no hope without Jesus because Jesus met the requirement that God sets for us. He lived a perfect life. He lived perfectly. He was the lamb of God who lived the perfect person, never sinned. And he lived a life for me I can't live, and you too. And then he died on a cross and his death paid the price for mine and your sin. He did that. He took The wrath of God on himself, the judge judged Jesus on the cross and said, paid in full, paid in full. Jesus literally said his final words were to telestai, which was a legal term, which literally said, it is finished. His work, God's approval finished because Jesus died on the cross and then he rose again from the dead. We need his life. We need his death. We need his resurrection in our lives. It all begins with Jesus. That's why Jesus points us back to God. He takes us off of our issues, our insecurities with ourselves and our comparison with others. And he points our eyes back to our heavenly father. That's where it begins. That's the way out of a critical, condemning spirit. Number one, your view of your loving Heavenly Father. How do you walk away from this? Jesus says, look to God as your loving Heavenly Father. Remember how a critical, condemning spirit uh, keeps us blind to who God is? Well, Well, it begins... When we open our eyes to who God really is. I I know that a lot of people go, I like to think that God is loving and never judges anyone. And he's so kind that he just, whatever happens, happens. Que sera, sera. But in the reality, we're afraid to find the God as we open up the scriptures. Some people have such a critical picture of who God is that they keep you from going into the scriptures. Get into the scriptures and learn who this God is. He is a God unlike you in so many ways. And he doesn't perform according to your commands. But what you will find above anything is his love and his acceptance through what he's done through Jesus. 
Look at how uh, this next passage, and some scholars don't connect it with the previous passage, but I do because it, it gives us a picture of what's our way out of a critical, condemning spirit. It's to look to God again. If your eyes are messed up with yourself, look back to God. If your view of God is limited, open it back up to see God for who he is. Look what Jesus says. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. There's, there's very little time there between when you ask and it's given, when you seek and you find, when you knock and it will be opened. Why? Because we have a loving, caring, compassionate, responsive heavenly father. We have a father who sees everything and yet accepts us, listens to us, loves us, and responds to us. Next time you're tempted to criticize or condemn someone, Think about what you're calling out on them. Think about the character issue you're pointing your finger at and then look up at the character of God. Let's say you struggle with a certain political view or a certain way people look or don't look and you make a judgment on them. I'm better than them. They aren't responsible. They don't care. What are you calling out? Righteousness. Look to your heavenly father. Is he righteous? Yes, there is no sin in him. Where do you stand with the righteousness of God? I deserve his wrath. I deserve the wrath of God. That's why grace comes in. Grace is God's undeserved love, his undeserved favor that's been given to you because God loves you and Jesus lived, died, and rose again for you. So so it's not an issue, is God fair? If he were fair, all of us would be in hell. We would. Because none of us deserve this. A lot of different religious systems say, you know, just be good. Keep trying and really try to be devout and zealous. And those who are really zealous are in. And those who aren't will always wonder if they're good. No. Biblical Christianity says we're all out. None of us deserve this. None of us can earn it. But all of us can have it because Jesus gives it to us freely. It's a gift. Salvation is a gift because Jesus is the one who gave his life for us. We have a heavenly father who loves us far better than we deserve. So when you're about to criticize, when you're about to condemn, point up and see the holiness and the righteousness of God. That view of God will then put you in your place and point your finger back. And what you find with Jesus is not a lifetime of shame and guilt. It's a lifetime of forgiveness and setting you free, treating you far better than you deserve. It begins with your view of God. So look to him as your loving heavenly father. Secondly, live then. If he's your loving heavenly father, live as his beloved child. Look at how Jesus calls it out. He says, which one of you, if your son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, and we'll talk about that next week, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts or good things to those who ask him? See, I I had to realize that our Father 
gives us good things. In the same way, if you have kids and they ask for something, your desire, of course, how can I help you? I'd love to do that, especially if they ask for really good things. None of us would do bad things or give things that would hurt our children. But, but if that's us, then we have a heavenly father who wants to give good things to us even all the more. And so as his children, what are we asking from God? Now, none of us again wake up and go, God, today I could use a critical condemning spirit. Help me just judge people and reject them. Help me just do that. I just, that's how I want to live. None of us wake up like that. So maybe it might be good to ask for good things in the morning. God, I'm going to meet a whole bunch of people who I might be tempted to judge. When I'm about to do that, show me myself in your eyes and show me that love. Give me love to love people that I may not be willing to love right now. God, give me a picture of your grace that I'm willing to treat people like you treat me. Treat me better than I deserve. I want to treat people better than they deserve today. God, today, ultimately, it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's about what you want. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I want to be about that. Your heavenly father is going, okay, man, okay. I'll stoke you with this. I'll get, you want more love? Here's more love. God gives love. God gives forgiveness. Our view of God will determine how I view others. Live as that child. Do you realize that that's your first calling in life as a follower of Jesus? If you are a follower of Jesus, that's how God sees you. My child. That's my kid. He sees you like that. You're accepted. You're part of his family. Do you deserve it? No, but you are. You are. So don't get hung up. Some of us go, boy, I'm not married. If I was only married, you're a child of God. Live as a child of God. Boy, if we just had kids, if I just had... No, you're, before you're a parent, you're a child of God. Live as a child of God. If I just got that promotion, if I just made 10,000 or 100,000 more, everything would be great. You're a child of God. Don't get hung up on all those counterfeit callings of this world to your life. You are first and foremost a child of God. And you only have one Heavenly Father. So live as His child. And I had to realize that with my heavenly father, I was worse off than I thought. But because of his love, I'm loved far more than I can imagine. That's our heavenly father. And that's what it's like to live as his child. Humble, open, loving with him and with others. And then, so how do you treat others now? And here's how it affects it. Once you look to your heavenly father as a loving father, once you see yourself as his beloved child, it really does. Folks, trust me on this. It, it transforms how you treat others because you then love others like family. Jesus would say this, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. What he really means by that as you look at is the Ten Commandments, you had the first part of the Ten Commandments on what does it look like to love God. And the latter part of the Ten Commandments, the six ending ones, are, are how, what does it look like to love other people. But here is the rationale behind the Ten Commandments. Do you want someone to steal from you? 
No. Don't steal from others. How complicated is that? Do you want someone to murder you? Nah. Don't murder others. Do you want someone to commit adultery with your wife? No. Don't commit adultery with someone else's wife. Do you want someone to um, talk about you behind your back, gossip, and bear false witness in a court of law? No. Don't bear false witness. See, we get hung up on the knots and don't, but if we see the heart of God behind it, God is leading us to life, not death. He's leading us to, to nourishment and goodness, not evil and destruction. And, and this is how we treat others. We treat others the way we want to be treated. We treat them like family. We're kids. We're children of God. And so we need to love other people like family. If you're a high truth person, I know I'm going to get the pushback. But they're not Christians yet. How will they ever see the family of God if you don't love them like family? Really? Seriously? Well, they need to get into God's word. They're not reading God's word. People don't, don't just wake up and go, wow, I really would like to learn more about God. I'll open up his word and I, I don't know anything about him. And boy, it's so clear. And I can get it. I, and I'll start in Leviticus. No, people need you. And did you ever realize that you are, the, you are a light in this world so that others might see your good works and glorify your Father, your loving Heavenly Father who's in heaven? Love others like family. Hidden in this text, and we read it and we miss it the first time, so it took me several times to catch it this week, is the word, the identity of the person who is being judged. Guess what they were named? No name, no personal name, but they were named a family name. Brother. Before you take the speck out of your brother's eye, before take the log out of your own eye, before you help your brother. Brother is family. It's mentioned three times. In this passage, brother means family. It means not fighting. Brother means acceptance, not rejection. Brother means dignity, not shame and guilt. Brother means blood, right? The good, precious blood of Jesus versus the bad blood of sin and strife. Brother endures through disagreements. Brothers think the best of you. Brothers want the best for you. This past week at the Kansas prayer breakfast, I, um, I, I was given the opportunity to pray at the end. And uh, Major General Julie Bentz, two-star general, came uh, from Washington and gave the, uh, a wonderful message. She shared her personal faith in Jesus Christ. And she said it all started for her. She's the youngest of five children in her family. And when they were out in Oregon... One night after her sister came to Christ and trusted in Christ, her sister knocked on her door and came into her room. And this is what she said. Julie, I love you. Julie, I, I love that you're my sister. Julie, I love that we're in the same family. And it's from that platform that the truth about Jesus was shared with Julie. 
And the love of her sister melted her heart to be open to the truth of Jesus. Do you realize that? There's no greater platform for the truth of the gospel than a person who loves like family. Think about this. Let's humble our lives around this teaching. If we not all just listen to it and learn from it, but we actually practiced and followed Jesus. Remember, a follower of Jesus does what? Follows Jesus. And so what we're called to do, think about it in your own family. Think about some of the garbage, just as I look around this room. There's got to be some garbage that was passed on through critical, negative, condemning parents. Think about if you ended that right now. You ended that cycle. You ended that legacy of criticism that, that either came from you to your kids or came from your parents to you. Think about the legacy the legacy of love that could be built in your family. Think of the new story, a new history from your life that could be repeated in your children's lives in the future when you love them like family, when you seek not to tear them down and condemn them, but to build them up and keep them dependent on Christ. Think about your friends. Friends gather in a critical, cynical, skeptical, sarcastic way. Think about if you refused to be that negative, critical person. Think about how your friendships would morph into greater commitments, greater times of support and encouragement and blessing. Think about your workplace. If you refused tomorrow morning to go around the water cooler and say what you don't like about your boss or about what's happening in the company, think if you just stepped away from that. Think about all the work that could get done in your workplace. Think about how your attitude would change about being there. Think about if you just stepped away from a social media rant and refused to get into that cycle. I mean, that's what our culture right now is just hung on to. Everyone has a platform for criticism and con- condemnation. And we don't build relationships because they're not built on love. They're false. They're built on judging. Think about it. Think about what could happen in this city. Really, Topeka. Think of how it could begin with us. I never knew God would do what he did at Fellowship Bible Church. But we're at the point now that if we all agreed on this and lived like this, Topeka would be a different place. It really would. And it could begin with us. We are at the point where God has grown our family to the point where if we really live, think about the people we could love and who might listen to the truth of Jesus because we treated them like family. Look at your father as a loving father. Live as a child who's beloved by him and love others like family. Let's pray. Father, we commit each person in this room to you. You love us. You treat us far better than we deserve. And and Lord, we are not compromising the truth, but we're calling you to help us lead in love. And we thank thank you that you are perfectly balanced, that you are full of grace and truth. And Lord, would you balance us 
with your justice and your mercy to be people who are balanced in truth and love. And may Jesus become greater in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives. May we live as your beloved children and love others as family. It's in the name of Jesus and for his glory that I pray. Amen.